Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Charles Davis of the NFL on Fox is going to join us in about 30 minutes to talk all things NFL. Turning to college football for a while and more of your calls a little bit later. Fun trivia question. What school has the longest active bowl streak in all of college football? If you know that the answer to that is Virginia Tech, a quick follow-up. What gentleman has been a part of every one of those 27 straight bowl games? Remember, the answer can't be Frank Beamer. He's been retired for a little while, although he is part of the conversation as we welcome our next guest. Bud Foster helped create the lunch pail defense in Blacksburg. They're at Lane Stadium and when they're on the road. He's part of that 27 bowl streak, the longest active streak in the nation. He worked under Frank Beamer at Murray State and during Coach Beamer's entire tenure at Virginia Tech. He did announce earlier this year, Coach Bud Foster, that this is his last in coaching. Coach Bud Foster, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Congratulations on an amazing career. How are you? I'm doing great, DG. I appreciate you having me on the air. It's great to have you, man. Uh, how do you put into perspective, I know you still have football games to win, and you're going to tell me it's all about the Hokies, and I totally respect that, and I understand it against Pitt and against UVA the following week. But can you, because you're, you're at a, you know, a fork in the career of life, so to speak, could you put into words just how the Frank Beamer part of this equation uh, inspired you more than three decades ago? Because it is really unusual for two guys to spend six years together at Murray State and then almost three decades together at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to do that. I mean, uh, you know, obviously I, I hold Co Coach Beamer, you know, at the highest regard of anything. I mean, uh, not only was he a great football coach and, you know, uh, and had so much success here and, and is, is Virginia Tech, but, uh, you know, he taught me so much and, and, and was so much to me and has been so much to uh, so many of our players and other coaches. And, uh, you know, for me even to be recognized and put in the same breath as, as Frank Beamer, um, you know, uh, I mean, that, that makes me – that's a tremendous honor bestowed upon myself, from, you know, from, from that standpoint of being recognized in, in the same name as with, with Frank Beamer. Bud Foster is with us. His Hokies allowed only 134 total yards to Georgia Tech last week as the Hokies won 45 to nothing. Virginia Tech has won five of its last six after starting out two and two. Coach, this one is really about your team. You know how momentum can be a big thing, not only in a game of football, but in a season of football. We follow Duke pretty closely around here. Y'all lost 45 to 10 on your home field to the Blue Devils. And you were two and two as of yep. that Friday night on September 27th. How in the world do you go from that had to be an extremely low low to being five and one since then? You still have a shot at the coastal title and a trip to Charlotte for the ACC title game. And your only loss in that six game stretch was by one point at a really good Notre Dame team. I mean, it just sounds almost unbelievable. How did y'all pull it off? Well, you know, I think it's great leadership from, uh, you know, Justin Fuente. I mean, he's, he's the guy that, uh, you know, we just kind of rolled up our sleeves and went back to work. I mean, that was – Duke played uh, a, a great football game that night. That was probably one of – for whatever reason, we started out playing that game extremely well. Then we turned the ball over, and next thing you know, it was like the wind went out of our sail, and, and we sunk. And uh, – um, we, we rebounded. I think it showed a, a lot of character about our staff and our kids. And, uh, you know, we've just, we kind of rolled, like I said, rolled up our sleeves and went back to work and really started just worrying about 
us and what us getting better and and us focusing on the next play. I think we we kind of looked at the, for whatever reason we have a young team still that we're looking more in the end result than rather the trusting the process and, and taking it one play at a time. And I think we've really focused on that. I think our practice habits have become better uh, with our young team and understanding that the consistency it takes to, to perform at a high level on a consistent basis. I think those things all in, in a nutshell were what it's all about. Coach, if I looked at a mugshot of you, I would say you look like a tough guy. When I hear you coach your players, you sound like a tough guy. I know you certainly preach toughness and expect it from your players. Given that background of toughness, is there room for just like sentiment and and emotion? And how do you describe those things a couple weeks after you are carried off the field by your own players, you know, at the end of a win on Bud Foster Day at Lane Stadium and going into what is going to be uh, against Pitt, your final game at Lane Stadium, at least on the coaching part of things uh, on the field. How do we lose Bud Foster right in the middle of that great question? We'll get him back. 1-800-849-2761 is how we'll welcome your calls a little bit later. Jim Rutherford just went into an actual Hall of Fame earlier this week. The general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, formerly of your Carolina Hurricanes, went into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Part of the conversation about Bud Foster is that if there were a Hall of Fame for assistant coaches in any college sport, he, the three-decade-plus defensive coordinator for the Virginia Tech Hokies, through those 27 now straight bowl games, I guess he gets to coach in number 27 uh, a month or so from now. And in this case, he's doing so with the team that still has a chance at a trip to Charlotte. It'll be Clemson representing the Atlantic Division. It still could be the Virginia Tech Hokies representing the Coastal Division as we speak. And it's Pitt at Virginia Tech, two of the contenders going head-to-head in that Bud Foster game. Coach, I don't know if you've heard all of that question as you prepare for the Pitt Panthers. Um, but how much room for sentiment and emotion is there, either as you were being carried off the field two weeks ago or as you are going to be coaching your last game in Lane Stadium this Saturday? Well, that day was was extremely special. You know, obviously we had a game to play against a really good Wake Forest football team. Uh, and uh, we were coming off, of, like you said earlier, just a tough, tough last uh, play of the game. Uh, lost to uh, you know Notre Dame, and I was concerned that we were going to have a little bit of a hangover. So, really, I was kind of really focused on the game. But then, at the, as the game went along, and we had the ceremony, that was very emotional. I didn't know what they were going to do, and and uh, you know it was just it was just a great day, an overwhelming day as far as just the, the, the love and appreciation, people reaching out to me and support. Uh, but the, what capped it all was beating, uh, was beating Wake Forest. That made that day really, really special. You know, I really haven't looked at, you know, and thought about this game being my last game either here at Lane yeah. Stadium. I'm sure as I, as I walk off the field, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a moment to really look at it. And, and maybe when I walk on the field for the first time, uh, that realizing this will be my last time, particularly in game mode and game mode mindset. But uh, I know this, it's a, it's really more about the, um, you know, the game now. After the ceremony, I'm really kind of locked into, you know, we, we've got to really uh, play hard and play well and, and have a great game plan uh, against a team that's playing really well themselves, uh, you know, in the Pitt Panthers. And uh, they're physical, they can throw the ball around, and we're going to have to play a great game for 60 minutes, and, and uh, that's really going to be my focus more than anything. But I think uh, at the end of the day, when I walk off the field, uh, that's going to be a, 
You know, that I'll, I'll reflect back a lot. I think the the one that's going to be the toughest may be my last ball yeah, game. Yeah. You know, that'll be the one that, uh, you know, you realize you're hanging up your cleats, so to speak, you know, for the last time. And um, I think that's the one that will really sink in more than any of these. He is Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator, also has the title of associate head coach under Justin Fuente. Bud Foster is joining us here on the David Glenn Show. Coach, I know you are a follower of many sports. I see your intense support of, for example, Virginia Tech wrestling, and you probably follow a lot of other ones as well. Here in North Carolina, there was an assistant coach named Bill Guthridge who for, I think the number was kind of like your number, you know, 30-some years as the assistant coach in basketball to the legendary Dean Smith at UNC in Chapel Hill. In his case, later in life, maybe at a somewhat similar age to you, you know, he finally got to be the head coach of the Tar Heels. It wasn't for long, just a few years, uh, and then he kind of turned the page and went into retirement. Can you remind us, were you ever a close as you know, one of the most prominent coordinators in all of college football for multiple decades, were you ever close to taking that head coaching job offer uh, from somewhere in Division One football? You know, um, I was very select in where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to a Power Five school. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I felt like I worked for the best guy in the business, and just to go as a coordinator, I wasn't going to do that. You know, and the coach was taking care of me in a lot of ways, and. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, probably the two that was that I was the closest with were the Clemson job. It kind of came down to myself and Dabo Sweeney, and uh, they hired Dabo. It's been a great hire for them. Uh, and it came down then to me and uh, Al Grove for the University of Virginia job, which uh, you know they 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 went the route with Al. And uh, but um, you know I, I I stuck my hat in a couple others like at Pitt and. Uh, uh, tried to get in at NC State when that opened up a few years back. But, you know, I was really select. I just felt like I didn't need to take a mid-major yeah. uh, head coaching job just to show that I could be a head football coach. I mean, we were playing at the highest level. We were a top-gen team on a consistent basis. Um, you know, we were playing in, in, the, in the New Year's Day caliber bowls. And, you know, I just uh, I loved the level we were playing and competing and, and the type of kids we had in our program. So, um, you know, that, that, that was disappointing to a degree that I never did get an opportunity because yeah. I felt like I would have been a great head football coach as, uh, or at least a good one. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, but I won't cry myself to sleep, that's for sure. Bud Foster is joining us on the David Glenn Show. I know you're all you're thinking about Pitt. I feel like I know you well enough to know that you're thinking all about the Pitt Panthers. So I'm thanking you for allowing us to go down these other roads. But we are curious about a guy who's been in the spotlight as long as you. I think of you as a relatively young guy, Coach. You're like 60 years old. You're, what, 13 or so years younger. I can picture Frank Beamer in retirement in his mid-70s. Is the R word really right for you? And if it really is retirement at the end of this current season at Virginia Tech, what is Bud Foster's world going to look like with travel or family or football in other ways? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, yeah. I've been – I've been consumed by this sport. Uh, you know, I've been coaching for 39 years. Uh, yeah, I am 60. I feel like I'm a young 60. Yeah. Uh, but I've invested a lot into this in, into this program. And and as you know, in a lot of businesses, to be successful at what you do, you invest a lot of time. And uh, you know, and, and there are a lot of sacrifices made with that. Yeah. You know, with your family, with yourself, with your personal life. Um, 
I've had some health issues. That was a big factor in this ultimate decision. Um, you know, I've, I'm blessed to have four grandchildren. Three of them live right here with two of my children here. Um, you know, so I'm looking forward to getting back and being a dad, being a grandfather. I'm still going to be involved with the athletic department. Um, you know, I'm going to be an assistant to the athletic director. Cool. Uh, probably similar to doing what Coach Beamer's doing right now, kind of being a little bit of an ambassador to the program, an ambassador to the university. I still feel like I can give a lot uh, and and help this program and our athletic department, this university, a lot, but just in another capacity. You know, just uh, your, your, your time is demanded of you so much nowadays in big-time college athletics, and not just on the field, but, you know, recruiting eats up so much of your time. I mean, it's becoming a seven-day-a-week, 11-month-out-of-year job. And, and I think, you know, it's time to pass the torch on to somebody else that uh, can give that kind of energy yeah. it takes and, uh, you know, and I've kind of I've kind of poured myself out, so to speak, you know, um, uh, over these last uh, 39 years of my life and particularly the last 33 here at Virginia Tech and really proud of what we built here. It was not easy. Um, you know, you mentioned going to 27 straight bowls. Um, you know, when you think of I know there's a lot more bowls than what there used to be, yeah, but there's yeah. still the bowls games that we've been to, except with the exception of a. You know, a few of them have really been some of the more upper-tier type bowls, and we've had great records. And I'm really, really proud of the consistency that we played with and the longevity that we played with. And that's that's something that I'll really, really be proud of when I look back at, at, at the career that I've had here at Virginia Tech. Last thing for you, and I know you have a meeting, so be as brief as you need to be on this. You already know your last game is going to be a bowl now, so that's really cool. You've yeah. got your hands full with Pitt this Saturday. There is another game in between, so put into words what it would mean if Bud Foster gets to step away with it would be 16 straight wins against the arch-rival Virginia Cavaliers rather than Bud Foster stepping away with the first loss in a decade and a half. Well, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll approach that when that comes, you know. Uh, but I'm really proud of what we've done in that rivalry, you know. And I know I remember I talked to Al Grow one time. I called. He was looking for a position coach, and I reached out to him. He, and I said, hey, coach, I, you know, really respect our programs. we got a good rivalry. And he stopped me there. He said, bud, the rivalry is when both teams win. <laughs> so I, said, well, I'm, I hope we keep it that way. But, uh, no, you know, that's been uh, – we just we got to go take care of business this week. You know, we're down to a two-game playoff, um, you know, in the Coastal Division. Yeah. And it's the two teams that we're battling with in four – directly in front of us and that's you know the the Pitt Panthers and then obviously the the Virginia Cavaliers so you know we just got to take care of business obviously uh, to play the to beat our rivals and you know we've had tremendous success in my time as a coordinator um, you know here in that rivalry and uh, I know they'll be ready to play and when that time comes and but I know our group will be ready to play as well but uh, you know we just got to take care of business this weekend that's really kind of our focus right he's now. Bud Foster coach I've been at this crazy business for 33 years I know you weren't in the ACC for all 33 years, but it's really been my honor to chat with you from time to time and follow your career. You're a class act. You've accomplished amazing things. I know you're going to remind me that it's not done yet, but uh, I don't know next time we'll get a chance to talk. So thank you very much for your multiple visits here on the David Glenn Show over the years, and best wishes with whatever is next after your last game. Well, DJ, I appreciate a lot, and you've been uh, you've been great for sport, and, and uh, just thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be on the air with you. Right back at you, man. He is on Twitter at Coach Foster VT. 
Not his last game, remember. Might get to finish in style, man. It's Pitt at Virginia Tech this Saturday, 3.30. Both have a chance to represent the Coastal. You got to win to stay in it, right? The Cavaliers are sitting pretty. They have only one more conference game. It is against the Hokies in the regular season finale in Charlottesville. UVA again on the wrong side of a 15-game streak where the Hokies have won that many in a row in that gridiron rivalry. So it's Pitt at Virginia Tech this week. It's the Hokies at UVA next week. And lingering on the side are the Miami Hurricanes, who are not mathematically eliminated yet. They can get to 5-3 and three by beating Duke in the regular season finale in conference play 5-3. and three. So there are all sorts of scenarios for tiebreakers. Virginia could still go 6-2 and two and win the division outright. Uh, Pitt could still go 6-2 and two and maybe win the division. Remember, they would lose. The Panthers would a head-to-head tiebreaker against Virginia because the Cavs went to Pitt and beat the Panthers in the regular season opener. Feels like forever ago. Uh, Bud Foster, however it ends, will be remembered as one of the great coordinators in the history of college football. And there are all sorts of numbers to back that up. Charles Davis on the NFL live in about 15 minutes. The Hall of Famer, Jim Rutherford, live in about 45 minutes. Earlier this week was his official induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Did you know he is the only general manager of the expansion era? That's roughly a half century or so. The only GM of the last 50-plus years in the NHL to win three or more Stanley Cups total while doing so with two different franchises. One with the Canes, two with the Penguins, and of course he is still at it. Jim Rutherford live in 40 or so minutes. Charles Davis live a little bit later this hour. Your phone calls, including on the question of the day, what NFL team do you see now as one of the top Super Bowl contenders that you did not see that way back in August? My answer is the Baltimore Ravens, partly because of the evolution of Lamar Jackson into an MVP candidate at quarterback, but partly because of a top 10 defense that has allowed the Ravens to just smother three of the other better teams in the NFL over the last four or five weeks. 1-800-849-2761. A lot of votes for the 49ers, some for the Vikings as well. You can be next with your answer to that question of the day. Meanwhile, the two most interesting things that happened in the NBA last night, the single most jolting reality in this year's college football playoff picture, more on death threats at Penn State and a possible New Year's Six bowl game for App State with more of your calls. NBA, NHL, little college basketball, a lot of NFL and college football. You can be next with your question or comment at 1-800-849-2761 on the David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music for right. that? That's right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Jim Rutherford, Hockey Hall of Famer. That was official earlier this week. GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, formerly of your Carolina Hurricanes, joins us live in 35 minutes. We will celebrate that milestone for Jim Rutherford, talk some other hockey. Congratulations on another milestone, including retirement, to Bud Foster of Virginia Tech. Appreciate him dropping by. Charles Davis of the NFL on Fox and 
your Madden video game franchise. He'll drop by to talk National Football League here shortly. The most jolting reality in this year's college football picture was underlined last night in the college football playoff committee's most recent rankings. Y'all know what's happening at the very top. There is no debate beyond maybe the order that undefeated LSU of the SEC, undefeated Clemson of the ACC, and undefeated Ohio State of the Big Ten are the first three teams that come to mind. They are at this point, thanks to the losses by Baylor and Minnesota, the only remaining undefeateds, not only in the Power Five, but in all of FBS football. That is easy enough, right? The modern-day format has four slots. Wow, there's three undefeated teams from power conferences. Maybe they'll just run the table and go 13-0, and you'd have your SEC champion in, your, your Big Ten champion in, and your ACC champion in, and the Big 12 and the Pac-12 can figure out whether their champions are candidates or not for that fourth and final slot. After the top three, though, it gets interesting whether you're looking at last night's rankings or the bigger picture overall. As we are in year six of this format, there is one and only one school, one and only one head coach who has participated in all five college football playoffs. That would be Nick Saban, and that would be the Alabama Crimson Tide. As you look at their 9-1 and one record, and you think, well, you can't have much more of a quality loss, right? It was to LSU, which is 10-0, and 0, and if not number one, everybody knows that they're one of the top three teams in the country. So that's a quality loss. You have nine wins. You don't have as many quality wins as you like, but you do have a trip to Auburn coming up after trouncing Western Carolina, the catamounts of our backyard, this weekend at home. You got to go to Auburn. And the Tigers are ranked in the committee rankings, and that at least offers an opportunity for a second quality win. And you know how the conversation often goes around Alabama, and even around college sports more generally. Oh, if any decision maker has to make a close call between the big, powerful brand name that means more TV dollars and better TV ratings and keeping all the fancy, sharp, rich executives in the shiny suits happy – you know that the tiebreaker is always going to go on Selection Sunday in March Madness for basketball, or in this case for the four-team college football playoff. There are many who believe, conspiracy theory style, that that tie is always going to go to the brand name, especially in this case if it's a team that has been to the five previous college football playoff brackets. Whether or not you're a conspiracy theorist, I'll remind you of a couple things, as I believe the most jolting reality in this year's college football playoff picture is how soon-to-be 10-1 Alabama is a really long, long shot to get there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You all know I don't believe a good theory unless there's a lot of evidence to back it up, and 99% of conspiracy theories turn out to be trash. I'm actually disappointed in those who listen to conspiracy theory radio because you're doing the intellectual equivalent of shooting heroin. You are killing yourself, and you don't even really know it, but those are your brain cells. You can treat them how you wish. For Alabama to make the college football playoff, well, duh, they need to win out in the regular season. But remember, they don't get an SEC championship game appearance. They'll be, if they win at Auburn, the 11-1 Crimson Tide without star quarterback Tua Tungavaloa out with injuries. And here's what they would really need to happen, seriously. Georgia is ahead of them in the rankings right now. They would need LSU to not only beat Georgia in the SEC, SEC title game, they would need LSU to thrash the Bulldogs, to take the Bulldogs out of the conversation entirely. But that's not enough. 
they would love to have Oregon or Utah lose a second game and then win the Pac-12 title. So they'd be the two lost Pac-12 champions rather than the one lost Pac-12 champions who probably would be picked over a one-loss Alabama team given no more Tua and given only at most two quality victories. They also might need Oklahoma to lose again before perhaps winning the Big 12 championship. That's a lot of help to ask for. They also, of course, would need Ohio State to go on and win the Big 10 because oh, you, you, the last thing the Tide would need would be somebody else to win the Big 10 with a manageable resume and then somehow the Buckeyes slip in as a 12-1 and sort of at-large, right? That's a lot of help that Alabama needs to get in. In the previous five, there was only one playoff where Alabama needed any kind of benefit of the doubt to get in, where they even needed a lot of these out-of-their-control helpers, if you will. And, of course, they got them, and they did get in, and they do typically capitalize when they do get in. This time, I think there are too many variables in play. It's not like they have a 0% chance of getting in. That's not accurate either. But 10%? Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State are in the driver's seat. Georgia has a better chance of getting in. Oregon or Utah from the Pac-12, better chance of getting in. Oklahoma, better chance of getting in. I put Alabama down there in like Penn State territory. Could it happen? Yeah, it's not out of the question yet. But I'm not assuming the Tide wins at Auburn with their backup quarterback. Even if that does happen, man, does the Tide need more help than they've ever needed in the six-year history of the college football playoff. And that is a jolting reality to most college football fans, the majority of whom assume every year that regardless of how the other three shake out, Nick Saban and the Tide are going to be one of the last four standing. Not this year, my friends. Not this year in all likelihood. Jim Rutherford live in 30 minutes. And on the NFL, one of our favorites, Charles Davis, former Tennessee Volunteers star safety, now from the NFL on Fox and the Madden video game franchise. We'll talk Panthers. We'll talk MVP. We'll talk Ravens. We'll talk Colin Kaepernick's workout. A little bit on a lot of things with Charles Davis next on the David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the leaping prairie chewing on grass. This is The David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Hockey Hall of Famer Jim Rutherford, formerly of your Carolina Hurricanes, joins us live in less than 30 minutes. Through my scratchy voice, I welcome our next guest. He's one of our favorites on all things National Football League. You'll hear his voice on your Madden video game. Catch his draft analysis on the NFL Network. And each week we get to hear him as part of the call for a game on Fox. Charles Davis, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing well, DG. hope you're feeling better. Thanks, man. Doing okay and well enough to talk football with you for sure. Uh, I would see you as a United Nations-style peacekeeping intermediary if I needed sort of an arbiter between, you know, Stephen A. Smith of ESPN telling Eric Reed that he's immature and he's too in your face and he's not accommodating enough uh, to help his friend Colin Kaepernick find a job. Uh, while also staying true to some of the uh, principles 
that Colin Kaepernick has been right about all along. What would your advice be to Colin Kaepernick if he really wants a job in the NFL? Where do you draw that line between defiantly standing by your principles but yeah. agreeably conversing with um, maybe some of the more open-minded NFL decision makers <laughs> who may consider giving you a job offer? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? And, yeah. And where it really stems for me is every person has their own line that they draw about where their principles are, for lack of a better term. For sure. Right? So one of my – I'm not going to call it a pet peeve, but one of the things that is that in my life that I've always found fascinating and sometimes infuriating is when I come across someone and we're having a conversation and they throw out something, you know, that they, you know, their opinion and they're very forceful about it. And you say, well, you know, you kind of, all right, I see where you're coming from, but, and then you kind of give your thing and they're like, ha, ah, I speak the truth. <laughs> and I'm always like, your truth. That's your truth, okay? That doesn't necessarily make it the truth just because you say it forcefully, loudly, and you decide it's the truth and it's the right way. That doesn't exactly hit it, but that's how a lot of people are. So my point on all of this is Colin Kaepernick is going to have to decide what his truth is and where his line is drawn and where he feels it and what he's willing to sacrifice and not do. And apparently he's willing to sacrifice playing in the NFL for a certain line that he's drawn for himself. You know, it, the rest of us from the outside looking in are saying, you know, if I'm a more moderate, I think you, you know, analyze me pretty pretty correctly. I'd want to pull up a chair and say, okay, Cap, tell me what the, you know, tell me from yeah. your perspective, what are A, B, C, and D, and what's the thing that's, that's keeping you from doing this? And then I'd want to ask the level-headed, the so-called level-headed people, have you seen the people playing quarterback in this league? What is really keeping you from wanting to hire this? Yeah, guy? right. You know, and, and, and as always, it lies in between somewhere. There's that gray area. And where do you go? And here's the thing. I've always been of the opinion that in Colin Kaepernick's case, his message got hijacked by people that aren't in his camp, i.e. the president helped make that message different than what he was trying to transmit. Totally. And once the message got hijacked and it got outside of his control, he lost, he was lost at that point. You know, I've had many people that I consider level-headed. No, he's kneeling against the flag. The flag was never once a part of that. <laughs> it was to draw attention for something else. It was to draw attention about, you know, what he perceived as racism and, 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 and what we were, what was happening with police and so on and so forth had nothing to do with whether or not he loved our country or not. And in fact, the people who love our country the most have been the people who have dissented. Our country got started because we descended against someone else's flag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we can just take that all the way back if we want to. And then of course, the same people who hit me with, well, I speak the truth. Well, now they change their truth to, well, that was different time. You know, right now everything's wonderful. It's great. It's like Mike Dick is saying, I don't know anything about any racism right. anywhere. We haven't had that in how many years? <laughs> what? So, so that just tells you how complicated this issue is. And I'll leave it with this, DJ. That workout, I don't care how you come, which side you come at it from. If you can't admit, and this is just me saying it now, okay, so it's my opinion. But if you can't admit that the whole thing was crazy, 
I don't know where we even have to start to have a conversation. I don't care which side you're on, okay, whether you're Kaepernick's side, whether you're the league side, or even somewhere in between. If you can't admit that that was bizarre, and for lack of a better word, I don't even know how we can have this conversation because the whole thing was bizarre. Uh, Colin Kaepernick's people, this is the NFL. You have uh, 96 hours of ground workout right. for you, and you have two hours to tell us if you're going to accept or not accept. Well, what, what, what? If that is actually true, as has been, you know, reported, how do you even start with that if you're the league? How's that a starter for you? And then for him, if he re- and people are saying, well, we don't know if he really wants to play. I believe by just him showing up, he says he wants to play because who in their right mind gets a phone call and says you got two hours to decide what you're going to do after having been shunned for three years? I'll yeah, say- he wants to play. Okay, there's no doubt in my mind he wants to play. But at some point, there's got to be some human dignity as well and say, um, guys, can we have a legit workout? Because I'll leave it this, DJ. If I'm the league and I'm going to organize this and want him to do it, I would have found it on that Monday or Tuesday, and I never would have put it on paper, but I would have had a phone call to every team that, that, that at some point goes, um, just want to let you know, the commissioner really expects the GM and the player personnel guy to be there. Because the media is going to count heads on this one, you can't send your junior scout to this. I mean, how? how I mean, it's not that hard. No, it's really not. not that difficult. And I talked with a couple of GMs, and they kind of expressed the same thing to me. Kind of like, look, you have it on a Saturday. We are scattered on a Saturday. This is not us trying to run from Colin Kaepernick. We are all scouting college football. We got assignments everywhere. And by the way, our teams are playing on Sunday somewhere. That was nuts. I mentioned coming out of the weekend that in 17 years as an attorney, of course, I was not in high-profile situations like this, but I could honestly say that in 17 years of various meetings on various matters of various levels of importance, I never set foot in a room where there were so many loose ends when it came to ground (laughs) rules or, you know, what, what had to be negotiated ahead of time. I mean, it was a complete clown show from that perspective and i would just i would actually expect more from both sides let's go on yeah. to the, on to the yeah, field yeah yeah and, and real quick let me just finish with this dj because this 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 conversation you know will really has no end it's like the song that has no end yeah right and until we have a resolution that's where it is i'm not of the camp that colin kaepernick is blameless in this thing happening for all this amount of time either yeah i'm with you there's all there's always both sides having to have some give and take and do some things with it you know, like I said, he's got to decide what his line is and where he feels like, okay, I will give up A, B, and C. Kurt Flood in baseball, and those who don't know the name I just mentioned, Google it and find out. He had his line about what he was going to do, and he essentially sacrificed his career and all the people who are signing monster free agent contracts. Every time you sign one, you should, you should crack a glass of champagne or something to Kurt Flood, who essentially sacrificed his career to get the reserve clause eliminated in baseball which allows for the free agency we have now. So there goes there goes my soapbox. Charles Davis joining us. Follow him on Twitter at CFD22. Great analyst for the NFL on Fox each week in the NFL regular season and beyond. Uh, to the field, we asked a question today. What team does any NFL fan see right now as a top Super Bowl contender that they did not see that way back in August? So we're putting aside, you know, the Patriots and the Saints and some of the other mm-hmm. preseason favorites. I picked the Ravens because, and I want your yeah. thoughts on the difference between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens 
when they lost, I believe it was at home to the Chargers in that playoff that game correct. last year, where Lamar, you know, had trouble completing half of his passes and, you know, was more the running part of that dual threat, but not quite the polished passer part of that dual threat. And now, Charles, he's like the second quarterback ever to have two perfect passer ratings in the same NFL regular season. And, of course, yeah. he hasn't forgotten how to run, and they have a top-10 defense in Baltimore right now. What, what do you make of that franchise and where it is in the pecking order of Super Bowl favorites right now. Yeah, that's a great one. To me, they're the hottest team in the league right now. They've played the best football over the last six, seven weeks, I've, I believe. Witness beating New England, you know, and really doing a number on them yeah. and in that Sunday night showdown. And two things come to mind for me. I saw them work out in preseason with the Eagles in a joint practice session. And I saw Lamar Jackson, and I saw him take off his pads, and I said, okay, he spent time in the weight room, okay? He's a very wiry built young man, but every time people describe him as slight, they're, they're, I think they're incorrect. <laughs> he's about 210 pounds, okay? So he's not, you know, the tiniest person you've ever seen. He looks he looks like a, a silt, which is a word from a past generation. Look at that. But he's, but he's stronger than that, okay? The second part is, yes, he did work on the footwork. He did work on the passing and the accuracy. And I don't believe that the, the leap had to be as dramatic as maybe what people are saying. He's always been a pretty good thrower, but was he on a par with a Darnold coming out and, and a Mayfield coming out? I didn't believe so. I thought his footwork was part of, part of the problem, and part of that was because he ran so darn much at Louisville. Yeah. You know? And, and my guess is that when he was at Louisville, he was a lot like my high school coach, John Ford. He used to tell me when I was playing quarterback at New Paltz High School, third and six, all right, laddie. If you don't have him open immediately, just take off and go, please. Okay? <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and I love my coach. Let me tell you something. I will, I will do whatever for, for my coach. But that's how he saw it, you know, not so much throw it, in, you know, throw the darn thing, but trusted my legs more. I'll bet you at Louisville there wasn't a whole lot of argument about, hey, Lamar, why don't you stay in the pocket and go through a lot of progression? <laughs> yeah. No. They were like, hey, when it's time to eggs, go. All right, because that, that worked for them. So he has to work through all those things. So all of that is happening. He has receivers. The drafting of Hollywood Brown was big because it's like option football. You bring people closer to the line of scrimmage with his ability to run the ball. And you bring eyes to the line of scrimmage because you've got to see when this guy takes off. And that's like option football in college. You run it, run it, run it. Then you step back and throw that thing over the top of their head. The tight ends have been big for him. And here's the thing. He's not missing open throws, you know. He's not missing those layup throws that he's getting, and I'm not trying to damn him with faint praise. That's not it at all. This offense is working so well, but how many quarterbacks have we seen this year and any other year, open receivers, they don't always hit them. This kid is hitting them. So that's why, yeah, Baltimore's in heavy contention. They're so good now doing what they're doing with Lamar Jackson that for the first time in my mind in recent memory, how often do we talk about Baltimore's defense now? Yeah. Almost never. And that's what you always led with when you talked about Baltimore. And now I say, okay, name five defenders on Baltimore. <laughs> and it's hard to do because the offense has now become the primary for them. And it's an organizational thing, DJ. The owner signed off on how they were going to run offense. The head coach signed off on this thing with the offense coordinator, Greg Roman, meaning they were committing to Lamar Jackson being a legitimate part of their running game which a lot of owners will not commit to when you're talking about your franchise quarterback. Charles Davis is joining us. Last thing for you, and I only have about a minute for this. Okay. Ron Rivera is the seventh longest tenured head coach 
And five of the six longer-tenured guys have already won a Super Bowl, which he, of course, yeah. has not as he's in year nine. Uh, you mentioned the owner of the Ravens, David Tepper of the Panthers, who had a rare media session earlier this week. And he, yep. used, he used the phrase, we, we'll, I will never accept long-term mediocrity in any phase of my life or career. He specifically refused to answer questions about Ron Rivera or Marty Herney's future. But what is your take as an outsider watching a Panthers team that is five and 5-5, five, highs and lows with Kyle Allen, obviously the unanswered Cam question, uh, yep. Do you feel like Ron Rivera is one of those hot seat coaches as we're getting to the time of year that we discuss such things? I don't necessarily know it's hot seat, and I know people say he didn't answer the questions. Well, I think it was smart he didn't answer the questions. That wasn't the time to answer anything on Marty Ernie or Ron Rivera. To me, the hot seat question is, are you going to bring Cam back to be your quarterback? Yeah. Because that's, that's where it all begins and that's where it all falls out. Are you going to continue to try and build around him? And he's been dinged the last couple of years. Or are you now in the quarterback market like more teams than we expected for these college kids coming out and or free agents across the board? And I'm just telling you, DG, it's not as hot a year for quarterbacks as maybe people might want to think in terms of coming out of college. There'd be a lot more people in that market. I think the free agent market will be a more interesting one. Are you going to make a play for a Teddy Bridgewater? You know what I mean? Yeah. That sort of a deal. So that's where it all starts. Is he hot seat? It's warm. Yeah. Because he won't accept me, you know, long-term mediocrity. And I'll leave it here. I talked to a friend of mine who is a Falcons person. And I said, right now, Carolina, by what the owner said, is essentially where Arthur Blank was when he took over the Atlanta franchise. You know, that Atlanta franchise never had back-to-back -back winning seasons until right. Arthur Blank took over. This is essentially what you're having with Carolina right now. That back-to-back, -back, being able to put together consistent years, that's what David Tepper wants to start taking care of. Well done. Charles Davis on Twitter at CFD22. Thanks to Charles. We're back after this. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Jim Rutherford joined us when he first learned he was headed into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, he was actually inducted earlier this week. The guy who built the 2006 Stanley Cup champion Carolina Hurricanes and then added two more cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Jim Rutherford, live next on the David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks who work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.